Um, our text today will be from Habakkuk chapter 3 um, again. Unless we got sort of brought us up to where we are, but let me just do it one more time. Um, Habakkuk is sort of um, in, a, in a really, I would say, difficult space. Um, God has pronounced judgment on the, on the Israelites, and he stands on, on, on outside of that. And he's being prepared for, for this exile that God has promised to his people for their disobedience in, in the promised land. And last week, Habakkuk demonstrated for us um, how to live by faith, how the righteous should live by faith, which was God's calling to them in chapter 2. In verses 1 to 2 last week, we saw how Habakkuk prayed. We highlighted how prayer is one of the primary means by which we endure this life of trouble. For prayer is God's gift to his children. Why? Because it's our communion through the Lord Jesus, and it demonstrates our weakness, our dependence, and our gratefulness. Habakkuk knew this. So with the coming judgment from God, he prays both in faith and in hope. He prayed that, that God will work out his, his salvation for his people, that the, that the salvation that he promised to his people will come to life in his time. It wouldn't hold on, but it would come to life in his time. In other words, he says in times of trouble, he, he, he's our example, in times of trouble we pray. And in our verse today, I believe Habakkuk would demonstrate for us another grace we can leverage in times of trouble. He recalls the works of the Lord, right? For that, that for the righteous to live by faith, they should remember the Lord. And I believe we desperately need this encouragement because we have some troubling times that today we should remember the Lord. So read with me chapter 3, verses 3 through 16. I'll give you some time to turn there. No, I'll start at the beginning, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to the Shijanoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him with pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. Sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kashan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave way, gave forth its voice. It lifted his hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You march through the earth in fury. You thrash the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced him with, your, with his own arrows, the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind and scattered me. 
rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trample the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Pray with me as we study God's word. Father, help us to see today. Through your Holy Spirit, help us to meditate on your works of salvation. Help us to remember your unfailing love and your wonderful deeds towards us. God, I ask that you protect us from our own sin and its distractions. Also, Satan and his attempts to steal, kill, and destroy our ability and aptitude to remember you, O Lord. Rather, may you help us to recall all your deeds. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So what happened when, you, when, we, when we pray? We prayed in hope and in faith, and we still lack it. What happens when you told your friend to pray, or you've prayed with your friend, and they seem to still be struggling to hold on? Or what happens when your sorrows become so overwhelming and it gets so hard that though you pray, you still feel like it's hard to see the Savior? I believe a back of the day is going to help us to find some encouragement in this. Because I think this is a struggle that many of us have. That Rome, I heard you last week. I've been praying, but I'm still struggling. What else can I do? What other grace does God provide for me? what I believe Habakkuk would show us today. But before I get into the details of the text, I do want to highlight on the onset what Habakkuk is doing. Um, in verses 3 to 16, much of what Habakkuk is doing, what we just read, is he's remembering the law. He's recalling what the Lord has done. And I, and I sort of want to make this a big deal because I believe the Bible makes this a big deal, to remember the Lord, right? So, so why, why does the Bible make this a big deal? Why does Habakkuk find it necessary to recall and recount the works of God. See, I believe Habakkuk is looking back to God for faith, but also looking forward to what God is going to do for hope. See, one thing you'll see throughout the entire scriptures, and you might even see this in yourself, that we, as God's people, are extremely forgetful. We forget God. And I, and I think, you know, as, as just mere human beings, we can be forgetful in that, right? Like, have you ever felt like, man, I got to go to the bathroom? And um, you go in the bathroom, and you say, man, why am I in the bathroom? <laughs> I mean, I mean, just regular people, we, we know we're forgetful, right? But, but more on a serious note, right, we can clearly see in scriptures that in either good times or in bad times, God's people forget them. Consider what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve forgot God's goodness. Or what happened after Exodus, right, in the wilderness? God's people forgot his provision, right? And he's God, he's glory, glorious. And what happened in the promised land? What, why are we in the predicament we're in now with Habakkuk? Why are they going into exile? Well, because in the promised land, God's people forgot his commandments and his lordship. That's a constant struggle for God's people, to forget him in times of trouble and in challenging times. 
It's so easy for us to forget God's plan, his character, and his commandments. Trials and troubles, I believe, seem to have a unique way to sort of, like, fog and, and clog our minds, to, to sort of push God to the back. And I think we've all experienced this, experienced this right? Like when, when, like when you're driving and someone cuts you off and you're late, and you just start spilling all the hateful words you can. What are we doing in that moment? Well, we're forgetting that God made that person in his image. And your words is even, are even supposed to lift up that person, give them dignity and value because they're made in God's image. Oh, what, what about when your parents and it's hard for you to get along, right? Um, it seems like, man, I feel like it's, it's in those times where we, we forget that, man, we're called to honor our parents because we start feeling and thinking unloving things towards them. Right? Or maybe when you're looking in the mirror at yourself and you're struggling to, to like who you see, you don't have much confidence, and maybe that's because of body image or because of what you're believing about yourself and lies. And all the lies that you tell yourself or, or Satan is beginning to tell you in that moment or what society tells you about yourself are mean and nasty. And what do you do in that moment? Well, you forget that God has bought you with the price and that you belong to him and that you yourself are made in God's image. See, again, I believe somehow God sort of fades in the back of our minds where we're in front of trouble and trials and challenging times. And it doesn't help that the world sort of trains us to think this way, right? It tells us to forget God. God doesn't exist. There is no God. He doesn't answer prayers. Do it yourself. Be your own God. We're up against ourselves and society to remember God. See, this is why I believe the Old Testament makes it a really big deal to remember, to remember the Lord. To remember. This is one of the key themes you'll see throughout the entire text. To remember God. In fact, the one call that God had for the Israelites right before they went into the promised land, you'll see in Deuteronomy 8.11 that God says, take care to remember the Lord. How I saved you from Egypt. How I drew near to you. How I provided for you every day. You've walked and your clothes did not fade away. Your shoes stayed intact. How I care for you well. How I protected you. How I've been with you. How I've loved you. And this is our call today. That on the onset of what Habakkuk is doing is our very call to remember the Lord in challenging times. This is precisely why God has given the Israelites and us today festivals and holidays that we celebrate, right? Consider communion, right? What we do every week. What are we doing there? We're remembering Christ's, Christ's atonement. How he died for us. What about baptism? When we witness someone being baptized. Remember that we were buried with Christ and raised to a new life. Or the Sabbath, right? Every week we come to church, right? Remember the Lord is the Lord. He's our provider and he's given us rest. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Advent, right? What are we doing there? We're remembering that God came into the world to save people from sin. And the more difficult one, I believe, is funerals. Of course, we're remembering that a person's life. But what the scriptures told us to remember is that life is short. It's like a vapor. It's like a smoke. It's here one second and gone the next. So in those moments, we've got to remember that in Christ, we live forever. But this life 
It's not all there is. See, we need constant reminders of God and the Lord, and of the Lord as God's people to remember him, to have hope and to have faith, especially in times of trouble. And Habakkuk understood this. So with, with, with judgment and trouble and trials seem to be on their way towards the Israelites, he recalls the Lord. He recalls the works of the Lord. I think um, some other ways we can sort of think about how we could um, sort of already apply what Habakkuk is doing before we even get into the text, but just on the onset, just recalling the Lord, is to sort of have this, I would say, a liturgical calendar where, you, where your life is sort of habit, habitual around, around God's work, sort of having your life revolve around the gospel. Of course, it's coming to church every week, right? It's, it's participating in the Sabbath, resting in the Lord, right? That's going to community groups, right, outside of Sunday so that you can have a, a midweek reminder. That's participating in Christian holidays. I mean, Advent is coming up, of course. In other words, I think we should just, we should have many events in our lives, not only week, week in, week out, where we are revolving our lives around the gospel so that we can recall the Lord. Because why? We're forgetful. You know, I've, I've led um, community groups for many of years now, and um, I love it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, but with that comes all the types of excuses you can hear for why you can't come on Thursday night. And I get it. Things come up. I mean, if you got COVID-19, stay home, right? I get that. Um, but all types of things come up. But the things that I, t- I typically hear a lot are, uh, man, I've had a challenging week. I'm having a hard time today. Man, I'm, I just can't come. And I think in those times, you, we forget, man, that the very grace that God has provided you to remember him is fellowship to get around God's people. There's been times when I've, I've struggled to get in my word and I've called one of my guys up and he's like, man, I just got out of the Psalms. And that blessed me. I think this is an awesome way for us to think about how we can get around the gospel, how we can hear God's word, how we can remember him. And of course, reading our Bible daily is another, another avenue, how we can apply this on the onset, right? Any time in the day as possible, starting small, being patient, walking through God's word from the beginning to the end, taking a year or two to go through it, nice, steady, and slow, to remember the Lord, to recall his way, so you actually know what he's done. So given the importance of what it, what it means to remember the Lord, Habakkuk looks back at what God has done for faith. It looks forward to God and hope. So in our text today, what, what exactly does Habakkuk begin to recall? Well, I, I believe first thing that Habakkuk does is look back and recall God's wrath. And I believe this is an example for us that in times of trouble, we should remember God's wrath to find faith and hope. And that might seem strange, but bear with me, bear with me. Uh, but before I continue, I want, I want to, I want to um, sort of warn us in a sense um, that this is a poetic text. Okay. So as I read it, you're probably like, man, what, what are you saying? What does all those things mean? Uh, so I want to first encourage you that it's okay that you are a little confused. That's all right. Um, this is likely a, a worship song, right? You see the many salahs that went in, in, the, in, the, in the text, which we can find, mostly find in the Psalms, right? So this is likely sung by the Israelites as they were walking, right? And so given this poetic nature, it might, it might again, take us some time to sort of walk through this text. Um, and I also want to mention that, that reading, reading Old Testament texts like this will require us to know other passages, 
uh, I like how the uh, co-founder of the Bible Project put it. He said that the Hebrew writers were likely inspired to write the Bible in a way that would require you to read the entire text before you understand smaller parts. So unless you understand um, the larger text, the smaller parts will, will, will probably be a little bit confusing to you. So if you're referencing a flood, we well, would need to read the, the Noah's account before you understand what the flood means and what it's all implying, right? So as I read, as I go through this, um, I'll try my best to sort of explain it, but it's okay to kind of walk through and be patient, and it's okay if you don't understand on, 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 at first. So let's begin. Um, in verse 3, Habakkuk sort of begins this, I would say, the opening credits to sort of a story or a poem, poem right? He says, God came from Taman the Holy One from Mount Paran, Salah. Now, now, first notice how this is sort of in the past tense, right? God came. He actually came. So this helps us to know that Habakkuk is referencing real historical events. This isn't a fairy tale or something he's sort of make-believing, right? This is, these are real events that's happening. Um, and so what exactly is he referencing? Well, the text says Taman and Mount Paran. Now, these are places that are along the route of the Israelites from, from Egypt to Canaan, or for, for your storytelling, from the Exodus to the Promised Land, right? Where Mount Paran is um, where the, excuse me, where Mount Paran was where my Sinai was, right? And, it's a, and Taman being a territory in Eden, which is, which is another place that the Israelites traveled through, right? So, so with the, such an opening, Habakkuk is hinting at the fact that he's going to take us through the story of God from Exodus to Deuteronomy. So already you can see that unless you have a familiar account of Exodus to Deuteronomy, this may be hard to understand or comprehend, but we'll do it together. And so with that in mind, with, with Exodus to Deuteronomy in mind, I think a few, a few things should jump, jump out at us. And some of those key things from those books are, one, God is holy, right? God sets himself apart from other gods, other nations, other things. God is glorious, right? full of overwhelming power. But also, we see in Exodus and Deuteronomy that God is wrathful, opposing all lawlessness and sin. But God is also merciful, saving the people for himself. Remember, remember in Egypt, right, when God displayed his wrath against the other gods, and he sets says, he says himself apart from the other gods, declaring to be the gods of gods, or you might say the most high. Or remember at Sinai, Sinai, right, where God this revealed his wrath against the sin within Israel, declaring himself to be holy, right, the holy one. And remember, along the journey towards the promised land, God displayed his wrath against the other nations, declaring himself to be the king of kings. Therefore, when you read Exodus, you see how the world is sort of becoming to know the holy one of Israel, the one who opposes all of the nations and the kingdoms for their rebellion, but sets himself apart, but also his people apart from those other nations. So on the one hand, Habakkuk is explaining who came, God, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Holy One of Israel. And on the other hand, by explaining, explaining where God came from, Taman and Mount Paran, God is, I mean, Habakkuk is also explaining or describing God is the one who comes in wrath, judging all that is perverse and untrue or lawless and unrighteous. So in other words, Habakkuk is looking back at the Most High, the Holy One of Israel, and as he's coming in wrath and opposing all those who are in rebellion. And with the coming of God comes his glory, right? 
So Habakkuk turns our attention to now he goes from who came and where he came from to now how God came, the nature and what he, what he comes in, right? He says, his glory covers the heavens. His praise fill the earth. Now, I want to explain something right quick. When, when Hebrew writers use this language of heaven and earth, it's particularly in poetic texts, what they're doing is not only just saying everything above and everything beneath, but they're also saying everything in between. Okay, so when we read this, we can read it as when God's glory, uh, when, when all of heaven, all of earth is filled and everything in between was covered by God's glory, they felt the overwhelming weight and power of his wrath. And his praise was everywhere, meaning that everything above and everything beneath knelt before him, built, bent to his will and his wrath. So when God comes in wrath, essentially what Habakkuk is saying, that nowhere is safe. Everywhere feels his coming and his power. Are you beginning to get a sense of what Habakkuk is doing? He's setting this up for an, for an epic, for this very epic story. So let's continue. We, we continue to get a sense of where Habakkuk is going in the next few verses, right? Notice, notice how God is marching like a warrior and, and moving heaven and earth for his glory. He says, his splendor covered the heavens. And the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand. And there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. This is like God's procession, right? And so as God's coming, he has a procession with him. Um, I, I lived in D.C. most of all my life. And um, it, was, it, was, it was normal to sort of see government officials drive throughout the city. And, and you always, always notice because they'll stop all the streets, right? You can't, you can't drive on the same street as the government officials, especially the president. And there's a row of black SUVs and like a dozen police officers. And so you, so you kind of get to scene like, oh, man, someone's important is, is coming. I think this is where Habakkuk is sort of trying to, trying to do for us, that, that as God's coming in his procession and, he, and, he's, and he's coming on earth, moving in wrath, what follows him is not police officers and black SUVs, but it's plagues and pestilence, right? And this is just another indication of God's wrath. Because when we think about plagues, we think about what happened in Egypt, the 10 plagues, where God unleashed his wrath upon the people of Egypt. But let's continue, right? In, in the next few verses, we'll see God arriving on the scene, how he arrives in glory and power and wrath. It says he stood and measured the earth. So God came, and he, now he's standing. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations, or, or the nations trembled. Then the internal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan affliction and affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Now, some commentators see this section as uh, sort of an earthquake and, and, the, and the Kushan, Kushan and, and Midian being other places or the nations that, that nations that opposed Israel as they were leaving Exodus, I mean, Egypt on the way to Canaan. But I don't think we need to really get into exactly what this thing is mean, meant to, to really get a picture of what Habakkuk is doing here. Habakkuk is giving us a better picture. He's painting a bigger picture of God's wrath. And again, one biblical thing that jumps out at us is what Rob prayed earlier is that when God comes and he stands, there's fear and trembling. God is powerful, right? So not only did the nations tremble, but also the mountains. The whole earth is feeling the effects of his wrath. You get a picture now? You see it? Now, I think the same thought about God's presence, right, and the wrath that, wrath that comes with God may have led to why Habakkuk is um, moving towards in the next verses. He says, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? 
Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? Habakkuk is asking rhetorical questions. <laughs> but, but what he's doing, he's simply emphasizing that the whole earth is at God's disposal. Right? That everything is subjected to his wrath. Even the seas and the rivers are impacted. And notice that, that God is, is riding on horses and chariots. And it's not that, that God actually rode on those things, but he's, he's emphasizing that God is coming like a warrior. Right? He's coming like a king. So Habakkuk is recalling the, the nature in which God came, like a warrior. He continues with more imagery in the, below, right? He says, you strip the sheath from your bow, right? Warrior, stop. Calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice, and it lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place, at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. I think we all can see it now, right, that all of heaven and all of earth is sort of filling God's wrath as, he, as he's coming. The waters, the mountains, the clouds, everything is sort of giving way to God as he moves. And God is, is not some random king or warrior that's coming. He actually uses the, the weapons of the earth to come as his wrath. Now, now, now due to time, I couldn't really, I can't really go into the specifics of each, which each of these things are, are, are referencing, but I, I will do one, right? So, so for, for, for example, verse 11, it says, the sun and moon stood still in their place. Now, yes, this is definitely a, a great picture of how God is using all of earth to to show the display is wrath and as he's coming in wrath, but this is likely referencing um, a time in Joshua chapter 10, where God actually stopped the sun and moon to bring wrath down on a nation that was opposing his people, Israelites. But I don't need to do that to, 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 to highlight Habakkuk's main point, right? That God is coming like a warrior in wrath upon all those who oppose him. I like how one commentator says, that, that calamity and judgment are the central theme of Habakkuk's poem. Habakkuk summarizes this for us in the next few verses. He says, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. God was coming against the nations. So is God coming like a warrior in wrath, moving with judgment, with pestilence and plagues, coming after him, before him, sweeping up the entire earth, heaven and earth stopping, everything filling his weight. He's coming against the nations. But why does this, why does Habakkuk find this to be encouraging? Why does God wrath against the nations is what Habakkuk looks back at? Well, first I think the nations represent all that oppose God, right? All of God's enemies. And ultimately, of course, we would know that throughout the entire canon of Scripture, we would know this ultimately is symbolizing Satan, sin, and death, right? So, so ultimately, individuals who are willingly and gladly live a life after Satan and rebellion, a life after sin and unbelief, and a life after death and separation from God, Habakkuk is recalling, man, God is, is coming to oppose all those who are against him, who choose to follow their own way, who stand outside of a covenant relationship with him. And for Habakkuk, this is primarily the Chaldeans. God, I heard your work. 
I remember what you've done. Do that in my time. What you did in Exodus? Would you do that now for us against the Chaldeans? This is what Habakkuk is recalling. That God would not let the Chaldeans go unpunished. That he will not let the, the wicked prosper. Habakkuk is like the psalmist who says, my feet almost stumble, my steps nearly, when I begin to think about the prosperity of the wicked. But when I got into the presence of God, prayer, I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. See, a baggage is recalling that God's wrath is on the nations, on Satan, sin, and death. And what does that remind him? What does that, what does that point him towards? That trouble doesn't last always. That God will bring it to the end, as he done before. But not only does Habakkuk recall God's wrath against the sinful nations, he also recalls God's mercy. And this brings me to my last point. He says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. In other words, the most high God came like a warrior king to bring his wrath against the nations, but also his mercy to redeem his people. God comes in both wrath and redemption, right? Then in his wrath, he remembers to have mercy on his people. So this adds, a, this adds a slight twist to how we just got finished reading the, the previous passages, right? So as God came from Taman and Alperon, he comes full of wrath and full of mercy. As God's glory and praise cover the heaven and earth, he receives glory and praise from both his wrath and his mercy. As pestilence and plagues went before him and after him, they are used for his wrath, but also his mercy. As God shook the nations and the earth, he extends his wrath. He extends his mercy. That as the sun and moon stood still, he displayed his wrath and displayed his mercy. See, it's a, it's a misconception to think that the Old Testament God is full of wrath and the New Testament God is sort of full of mercy. No, God is both. Remember what it says in verse 16, that his ways are everlasting. God is both full of wrath and full of mercy. He comes in both. So as we consider God's mercy through salvation, redemption, right? We see that we see that God's mercy and redemption is full and complete. It's not half-baked. It's not partial. This is why Habakkuk continues and says, you crush the head of the house of wicked. You lay him bare from thigh to neck. That's utter destruction, right? You pierced him with his own arrow, with his own arrows, the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind and scattered me. Rejoice as, to, rejoice as to, to devour the poor in secret. You trample the seed with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. What can be more encouraging? That God is going to come against the very nation that has taken them into exile, into slavery. And that at the same time, God is going to have mercy on his people as he does it. It should be encouraging for us today as well. As we struggle with sin, and the effects of sin, that as we look back, we can see God has mercy and wrath against it. And we can find that same hope and encouragement today. That God will bring an end to all of our trouble and to save his people in the process. 
What good news? I have another favorite Christian rapper. His name is, his name is KB. He has a song called, uh, I Believe. Um, and the hook goes, I believe that we will win. Um, and towards the, towards the end of the song, he goes, to the, peril, the, per, to the paraplegic that he gonna dance, to the breast cancer she won't win, to racism that he gonna end, well, he doesn't heal now, homie, he going then. God's gonna bring an end to all of our trouble. I look forward to the day that God brings an end to racism in particular. So though, doubt, so though the Chaldeans may come upon us now through troubles and trials and suffering and sorrow, we can have hope and faith that it will not last forever. So let me summarize. Habakkuk recalls the works of God in the times of trouble for hope. He recalls how God is above all other gods and kings and moves heaven and earth to judge the nations and to save his people. God comes in both wrath and in mercy. So as we sit here today, how should, we, how should we respond to the last few verses, right? As we think about God's mercy and God's wrath. But I think for us who have saving faith, right, who believe that there was a chasm between us and God, God's holy and we're unholy, and, and Christ closed that gap for us. And so through faith, we can be near to God. For us who have saving faith, this is a call to remember the Lord's wrath and his mercy in present trials, to find faith and to find hope and suffering, to live righteous by faith, essentially to hold on, to hold on. Again, this is not to overlook how hard things can be. I get it. Things can be scary. Times are extremely tough. I mean, look at Habakkuk. Look how he's feeling. In verse 16, he says, I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Habakkuk is scared. He's feeling it, right? But because God comes against, comes in wrath against all wickedness, but also has mercy on his people, Habakkuk ends with faith. And so can we. We can end with Habakkuk ends. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. See, to live by faith isn't some stoic or unfeeling journey. Right? You, you actually feel the pain. You actually feel it. Rather, it's a, call to, it's a call to hold on, to rest in God, to wait on the Lord's mercy and his wrath. On the same note, there's also a call to look forward to the second coming of God when he will come again like a warrior, like a king, in both wrath and mercy. We read from Revelation today how God will do that, right? And Jesus, how Jesus will come like a warrior king on his thighs tatted, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He comes with a sword in his mouth, with heaven being his procession, right? And he will put an end to Satan, sin, and death. And as we wait for him, we are called to look forward to him, both as our savior, but also both, both as our, our example as well. Right? Hebrew 10, Hebrew 10 tells us to lay aside every weight and sin that easily entangles us. Right? And this includes all sin, right? The, the besetting sin that you've been sort of sitting on and not dealing with, that you just let go on and on. 
It says, look, look, look forward to that and run the race with endurance. Look into Jesus as our founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is now, and then it's now seated at the right hand of God at the throne. Right? God is our, Christ is our example, but also the one who we look forward to in faith and hope. But I also think this is a call to repentance. As we think about God's coming, right, in wrath and in mercy, we're called to repent. And why? Why? Because God is coming against sin and unrighteousness. God is not partial, right? So when God comes, when Christ returns, and none of us know the day or time, everyone will be held accountable for their sin. So you may be coming, you may be coming to church for a while, and you haven't right, rightly made a commitment to God, and you've been so away from the faith for some reason. I think now is the time to come back. The God's invitation is still open for you. The opportunity to be to become part of God's covenant family is, is available to everyone. That though God's wrath is coming, we can find mercy in Christ Jesus. See, while Habakkuk looks back at the Exodus, when God came in wrath against the Egyptians and their sin, we look back at the cross. How God unreleased his wrath. He came in wrath on Christ Jesus, laying him bare for that. So that now all who believe and turn from their sin and follow him may be redeemed and have life. God comes in both wrath and in mercy. We should turn to him through Christ Jesus. So in conclusion, though life may be hard, let's recall God's mercy. Let's recall God's wrath. Remembering that trouble doesn't last always. But it will end. And God will put it into it finally. And that we are called to endure by faith. The righteous should live by faith through remembering the Lord and what he's done and what he will do. Let's pray.